Hi, everybody. In this next episode, Amy Ang, former board member of the Oakland Unified School Board, joins us to speak about her family's roots of living and serving in Oakland over multiple generations. Amy's rich, familial, and personal history includes anecdotes about public service, allies who supported her family, and treasured Oakland favorites. She also shares about the joys and challenges of her decade-long tenure on the school board. We have come to appreciate Amy's expressiveness, her energy, as well as her resilience and grace. Thanks for listening. You are listening to the Oakland Asian Mom Podcast. Welcome to this episode of the Oakland Asian Mom podcast, and we are very excited to welcome our new friend, Amy, who we met through, um, or I met through my children's preschool, um, and Amy is a little bit more of a well-known figure. Um, she served on the Oakland School Board um, for almost 10 years, and we are going to talk to her just about her history and her family's history here in Oakland her experience as an AAPI uh, leader um, and being a working mom. So welcome Mm -hmm. to the podcast, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, Amy, welcome to the podcast. And uh, we usually ask our guests the same question in terms of introducing themselves. Um, So, you know, what are your ethnic and cultural roots? You know, where did you grow up and what places would you call home? And then how would you describe your partner and kids in terms of their race and identity? Awesome. Okay, well, I'm fifth generation Chinese American um, on my dad's side. Uh, My dad's side um, came to California sometime after the gold rush and they settled up in gold country outside of Nevada City and Marysville, and then later came to San Francisco Chinatown and then settled in Oakland Chinatown when the 1906 uh, earthquake um, leveled all of San Francisco Chinatown. Um, And then I'm fourth generation Japanese American on my mom's side. Uh, My great grandparents came, um, they came from Northern Japan um, to Oahu and worked on the sugar plantations. Uh, The sugar cane plantations, that's where my grandmother um, and mother grew up. Um, And I was born in Oakland and I was raised um, in Orinda, a nearby suburb. but I spent a lot of time coming back to Oakland Chinatown and also to Hawaii. My parents were very much, um, they found it really important for my sisters and I, I'm the youngest of four girls, <laughs> um, to know uh, where we came from and to be connected with our roots. So um, I very much call um, Orinda, Oakland, Hawaii, my home. Mm-hmm. And um, my husband is Korean American. He uh, grew up in a more... Um, typical immigrant um, family, um, but he's also very East Bay. He uh, was born and raised in Alameda and in Oakland. And our kids are half Korean, a quarter Chinese and a quarter Japanese. So they're cover most of East Asia, I guess. Wow. Your family background is very much like Asian American history, you know? (laughs) It is. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I feel like we could just with every generation and where um, they immigrated to and their place could could just share a lot. Like, I'm curious, um, growing up, 
we're veering a little bit from the questions, but, um, <laughs> you know, what was it like learning about that history? Is there like an oral history tradition in your family with all those generations? Um, you know, uh, I'm only the, I'm the first born generation. So I guess I consider myself like second, my parents were immigrants and my kids are third. And so I'm mm -hmm. like, Oh, how do we continue the stories even from our homeland alive in our family. So I'm just curious, like, how did you learn a lot about um, your family's histories on either either side um, growing up? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I grew up, so I grew up in Orinda, which at that time was very much not, there was not a lot of people of color there. Um, there was, especially with my oldest sister, who's 10 years older, um, there was just a couple, a few Asian families that were there. Um, and so we didn't really learn a lot about Asian American history in school. And even um, for our upbringing, we would go to Chinatown, we'd go to Hawaii, but honestly, we wouldn't know if something was like from our Japanese side or Chinese side mm -hmm, or Hawaii yeah. side, it was kind of all, you know, all mixed, mixed up, not mixed match. Um, but, um, you know, when I went to college, well, my father did kind of when we'd go to Chinatown talk a lot about um, our roots in Oakland and, and our grandfather and I was very close with my maternal grandmother in Hawaii as well and mm -hmm. so just spending a lot of time with elders um, and then in college I took um, I went to small liberal arts school back east so we didn't have like an Asian American studies per se program but I took an intro to ethnic studies class and then started doing a lot of research my junior year um, on my family history. So I ended up um, spending the summer, one summer I spent um, both up in San Bruno where there's the National Archives for um, all of the immigration records from Angel Island um, are, are stored there and um, basically did a project to um, take the interrogation records from Angel Island and go back to the Marysville, um, North San Juan, mm -hmm. Nevada City area and, and figure out, try to figure out what was fact and what was fiction about our family history and piecing together some of our family lineage. Um, and then the following summer, I did the same on my Hawaii side. I actually traced our family and our family roots back to Fukushima, Japan, which is where they're from, and mm -hmm. kind of reunited our families. We hadn't been in touch since World War II and um, got to visit sort of the, the village that my um, great grandparents came from and we're still in touch now, 20 something years later. And wow. so, um, you know, I think a lot of that was, um, was partly just wanting to better understand the history um, and, um, yeah, I think spending time with my great aunts and elders, I think is really important. Even now, I was just, even preparing for this, I was trying to remember some details from my, my dad. And I just was thinking, gosh, I need to, I need to have my dad do a driving tour <laughs> with mm -hmm. my, with my mm -hmm. kids and my, uh, my nieces and nephews to just record all of the history that he has. He's, he's turning 81 next month. So want to really preserve that history. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, it's amazing thing to be able to show your kids, like the youngest, the youngest generations, like the actual places, you know, um, either driving there or our family's um, scheduled to take a trip to the Philippines the first time as a family. Mm. And um, my dad, when in planning the trip, he's like, he's coming along, him and my mom saying, oh, wow. oh so are we, you, you want to go to my hometown? And I go, yes, of course. He's, and so I just felt like, I had been to his hometown as a child, 
and as a, as a young adult, um, but not as a mom. Um, and I didn't have bring my kids yet. So I think he was getting a little bit um, sentimental too um, about what it would be like. So I'm like, yeah, I want to take a picture of you and your grandsons here so that they remember and they could put their feet where, you know, where you grew up um, as much as it maybe looked different now. And so I'm like, oh, my dad is getting soft at his age, becoming more and more sentimental <laughs> as he turned 80 this year. So uh, for, for us to be able to do that, it takes a lot of work and energy, but it's well worth it, I imagine. Absolutely. I mean, we have video. I mean, obviously it's much easier now because we have phones that we can use to record yeah. videos. But I mean, my dad has some, uh, has um, recordings on the big eight tracks of his his grandmother from the probably from the 60s and I remember growing up listening to that she would be singing lullabies and and um and telling stories and then I have a lot of cassette tapes from my uh interviewing my grandma and great aunts and everyone um you know when I was going through my um interview process back in college so I think even just having their voices and and being able to preserve that um for generations is so important yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. Well, it sounded like you spent a lot of time in Oakland, you know, looking back, um, what were your, some of your Oakland based favorites, either as a child or as a young person, or even now as a mom? Uh, so I, we spent a lot of time in Chinatown and in the Lake Mare area. One of my first memories, uh, so my, my grandfather and father and most of my extended family were born and raised in Oakland, Chinatown. And at that time, you could only, you could only really own property and live in um, Chinatown. Um, mm. But my grandfather in the 40s um, was able to, um, he basically, um, through uh, a Caucasian friend and ally um, who purchased, purchased a house for him on um on Wayne Avenue, which is like on the east side of the lake, but basically bought a property and quick claim deeded it to my grandfather. So oh. uh, back in the forties. And so he had um, a house there. And now I, I don't actually, I live probably less than a mile away from where, mm. where he was. But um, I, I remember one of my first memories um, as a kid was when they um, turned back on the necklace of lights around the lake. Um, yeah. And I remember there being fireworks and uh, you know for many years after World War II the lights were dark and so mm -hmm. they had to raise a lot of money and I think it was the early 80s that they turned it back on so we spent a lot of time in Chinatown going to banquets and also um, around the lake and those are some of my favorite places still <laughs> yeah. um, you know and um, my husband and I got married um, we got married at the bandstand right outside of fairyland and had a big party mm -hmm. at fairyland and so it's kind of fun to take our kids there now um, so yeah those are some of my favorite places and of course and then in between and uh, it was fun to kind of check out some of the new bars and night spots and everything that were emerging um, you know in the 2009 2010, 11 era. And that's actually where I met my husband was at Mua at, um, oh. over in, in, yeah, um, uh, probably back in 2011 or something. Um, and so it was yeah, kind of watching Oakland have it become its own mm -hmm. sort of culinary yeah. and night scene was also pretty fun as well, but yeah. Yes. I remember the vegan mac and cheese there. <laughs> oh yes. Yes. 
Well, a lot of those spots, you know, like Luca's was closed. Uh, I heard Somar was closing. Mm -hmm. um, is Somar's closing? Yeah, that's what I heard. Oh, so, um, yeah. Sarah had a graduation party there. Did I? I don't even know. I haven't, I don't I haven't remember. Been, I haven't been like. Do you don't remember or you don't want to remember? I don't remember. <laughs> sure. I remember. Sure, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> But yeah, no, I have fond memories. Um, I moved to Oakland in 2006. So it was it was really fun. It has been fun just seeing um, yeah. Oakland become more of a destination. And um, yeah, and then also sad to see like some of those businesses close. But I'm sure hopefully new um, vibrant ones will take their place. Um, so Amy, we're going to pivot a bit and talk about your time on the Oakland Unified School District Board. And you were elected in 2014. You served as board president for some time. And then um, you uh, you ended your service uh, earlier this year. Um, and actually, this is this is kind of interesting because I knew of you before I met you because I knew you were a school board member. So it must be a little <laughs> interesting to be like Oakland famous in that way. <laughs> um, but I'm curious, you know, what drew you to, you know, seek out a term on the school board, you know, become an elected official. And I'm also curious about like, who are your role models um, along the way as well? Because of my family, I always uh, was really interested in public service and giving back and particularly serving um, publicly at a local level. So my grandfather, uh, Raymond Ng, was the first elected uh, city Asian city councilman in, in Oakland. He's He ran, um, he actually ran three times starting in the 50s and lost before winning in 1967. So over a course of 14 years. Um, and in 1967 was elected um, to serve uh, on the city council, ended up serving for for uh, four terms, so 16 years. And so he retired in 1983 when I was very little. And he had actually, his last term, he had throat cancer. So he, he had his voice box, his larynx taken out. Wow. So his last term, he actually served, um, you know, he, he could speak kind of uh, with some devices, but for the most part, he, um, you know, it was difficult. And so, you know, growing up for me, uh, we would go to Chinatown and just seeing how people would treat him, like business owners coming up to him and thanking him or, uh, you know, shop owners knowing him. And you could really just see through action what a difference he had made in people's lives. Um, and I think that always really carried an impact, uh, had an impact on me. So I knew, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. I knew from a very early age, I wanted to serve um, locally. I didn't know where or how, but, um, you know, ever since like fifth grade student body secretary. And I, I always did leadership positions. I, you know, in high school, I didn't drink because I didn't want it to ruin my political career. And I just, you know, I, I was just always really interested and in just really from a place of wanting to give back. I, I knew that I was afforded a lot of privileges in life and really wanted to help serve others. And so, um, you know, the opportunity, and honestly, I, growing up that was really ingrained in me and then I went mm -hmm. to college and had a hippie life I just kind of like was doing my own thing for a little bit and then I had just been back I'd been in Oakland about five years and um was was ready to like okay let me think of what the path like 
the path to want to serve would be. And in my head, it was like, okay, my grandfather ran and lost over a 14 year period. So like, oh, if I want to serve in like 15 years, I should like start putting my name out there and like running and losing. And, um, and so, uh, because the, then the district two city councilman, Pat Kernahan had was had announced she was retiring. And so there was a brief mm. stint that I was like, oh, maybe I'll, I'll run for office and just lose a bunch of times. And then I'll get my name out there for 15 years. And there was some like very savvy electeds at that time that, that sat me down and <laughs> was frank around like, this is a very different time. There's training programs. There's other things that you can do um, to prepare yourself. And uh, so anyhow, um, fast forward, one of the first people I met with was um, David Kakashiba, who was then um, the school board president. And um, he just blew me away with his humility, both his mm. humility and his um, ability to, I mean, he had no me at all. And he spent two and a half hours with me, this random, eager, ambitious person who had this crazy idea of running for city council. And, um, and, you know, I decided that through the process, I decided that it was not um, my time to run for city council. But several months later, David actually called me up and was like, I am thinking about not running for school board again. Would you, would you consider running for my position? And I spent like, probably another two hours talking to him about how I wasn't qualified. Mm. I'm not a mom. I'm not a teacher. I, I had a background. I had a grad degree in education policy, but I still, um, you know, it had just felt like it was, uh, I don't know, imposter syndrome or what, but just all the different ways, reasons why I wasn't qualified. And I eventually talked myself into like, okay, maybe I'll consider it. And, um, and yeah, so anyhow, it's a long way of saying that, um, you know, I've always wanted to give back. Education was, um, education, education policy was always a passion of mine with um, both my parents being educators. And so the time and opportunity came and, um, and I stepped into it. And I think in terms of mentors, David absolutely continued my entire term and still to be an absolute rock in terms of mentors. Mm -hmm. um, he's both the way he um, shows quiet leadership He's so politically savvy, policy navigation, budget, finance, just all the hard skills and soft skills. I am forever indebted to David for uh, just his time um, and also sharing his expertise. And then also Gary Yee, who is also just a longtime Oakland educator. And um, he was a, at when I joined the board, had retired from um, being acting superintendent, but was also a board member. And he, he later came back on the board. But what I appreciated about his mentorship was that he he's a man of um, great faith. He's a Christian, as I am also. And he really helped to show me not only the long view of, um, you know, Oakland education, but also what faith and service really means. And I think that to me was yeah. really helpful as well. I, um, I was giggling a bit at when you were describing your younger self, because I felt like you were describing me as a young person too, like student government, wanting to act like I, I don't know if you knew this, Cheryl, but I, when I was younger, wanted to run for public office. And now like, I'm not. Oh, I remember but, that. Um, I remember you saying, hey, Cheryl, I'm going to be um, interviewing for to be a UC regent. Do you remember that? <laughs> I go, that's yeah, right. girl. All right. I said, you go. Um, and you were in law school at that time. And he's like, she's like, can you help? interview me as a, to practice. I said, okay. I remember 
you went in my living room. We were both single at that time, not moms. And I'm like, okay, let's just practice. And um, I don't think you got voted in or else I would have known that about you. Or did you? No, I was a finalist. I was one (gasps) of three finalists to become the UC student regent. So yeah, I totally forgot about that. But um, yeah, like when Jane Kim won her school board race. Oh, yes. Like she was a friend of a friend. So like I talked to her about it. And like, yeah, when I was young, I was definitely interested in that path. So I probably There's still time. Oh no, exactly. <laughs> I know we too need much. Good people I know too much. in office. I know there was an opening District Five. We have an election like in like we a couple do. of weeks. But no, it's, yes, too yeah, late. I, I think that was more of my idealistic self, but I think polit- politics is probably not not the path for me. But um, so during your time on the board, Amy, there were multiple superintendents, budget crises, COVID, a lot of challenging things. Um, Plus she, yeah. she had, you had little ones, right? Were you, were you, mm-hmm. were you pregnant during these, this term, your whole term? Like I was pregnant. Um, so my, kid, <laughs> I, I found out I was pregnant, um, literally the day after we closed the, we settled the, uh, after the six day, uh, teacher strike. Oh yes. <laughs> and my, my, so it was the, the beginning of my second term. I had, I had a hunch, but we were literally at the state building at, um, doing bargaining and negotiation till 4am every night. Mm-hmm. And I had a hunch and I was like, I am, nope, I'm not taking a pregnancy test until we close this deal. <laughs> And so, yes, so I had, uh, that was my, with my first. So yeah, my second term had uh, two pregnancies and two babies. So yeah, I forgot all about the, you know, lots of strikes, um, kind of labor issues. So um, could you maybe highlight some of the particularly like challenging moments? And also like, I think from our perspective, we see, you know, we're both public school moms, um, Cheryl's husband is a long-term teacher in OUSD and I'm also curious like what are the more joyful parts of your experience as being a board member as well yeah I'll start with the joyful parts because there was many I think that coming in so I had not worked within the public sector before coming into the role I was on the nonprofit and philanthropic side advocacy side so always sort of outside this the public system And I think coming into the role, you just see how many amazing people work Mm -hmm. for the district all, you know, across the city from staff at the school site, all the way to the superintendent and board members. There are passionate, incredible people, obviously families and parents and kids. Like it's just as it was baffling to me that like a dysfunctional system could have just such amazing people at every level. And so I think that that, you know, I think in terms of the joyful parts, just working and seeing just amazing teachers, amazing staff, amazing parents who are so involved, volunteering so much of their time. Um, and, you know, obviously our kids. And so with just like with bringing the joy and the, the bright mm-hmm. spots, you know, every day. So I think th- those are some of the joyful parts. Plus we have some, you know, in Oakland, we have some of the most amazing community partners, nonprofit organizations like Oakland did community schools 
decades before other now the rest of the state is starting to transform their schools into you know hubs of um, community um, community hubs looking at not only the academic but social emotional learning and other types of other needs that kids have but Oakland was doing that for for a very long time and a lot of our community partners youth advocates like Californians for Justice and and Faith in Action East Bay a lot of our partners are just they were incredible allies to me on the board and working with them um, just taught me so much. So I think there was a lot, there was a lot of joy um, in, in those respects. Uh, and yeah, there was a lot of challenges, mm-hmm. a lot of challenges too. Um, you know, people, I think on the high level, especially now that I have hindsight, you just, you know, you recognize people are super passionate about education, obviously, especially if it's their own kids' education. People have different ideas of what that looks like. And particularly in Oakland, which we, what we love about Oakland is the diversity. So, and you know, the, the politics are very messy sometimes. The first term, it was all about that we had leadership instability. It's something we've struggled with as a city um, and as a district. We had three superintendents in my first four years. Um, rotating door of CFOs. um, So we couldn't get a firm picture of our budget numbers. Um, You know, we had just, uh, you know, that, that types of, those types of challenges in the first term. And then in the second term, just, you know, including some of the budget shortfalls, having to do mid-year budget cuts was probably one of the hardest things I had to do on the board, school Mm -hmm. consolidations and closures, teacher strikes, COVID, Etc. And so, and I think on a personal level, it was like, you know, we had protests at our house multiple times. I was 38 weeks pregnant and being ushered off the dice um, right after I announced that I was going on maternity leave because protesters were jumping on the stage. We had eight months of board meetings that were getting shut down. So we had like a lot of that type of um, passion, I guess you could say that yeah, um, yeah. really impacts, um, impacts the work and, you know, takes a toll on you physically and mentally. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that what I learned was, was that, you know, it's not folks weren't angry at, I mean, yes, they were angry at me, Amy, but like they were, it's more the system. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. system of oppression, the system of like feeling like you are not heard, your voice is not heard, um, you're being marginalized. Um, and you know, I think that, that, that anger and at the system that, that they believe is continuing to fail and many times oppress people. Like, I think that once I was able to disassociate that, that was, um, I was able to kind of lead from a healthier place. Hmm. Sort of ripping off from that, um, what are some ways that being on the board changed you? I think I definitely grew as a person. I was 34, I believe, when I when I grew on the board. So I, you know, I spent a good deal of my 30s um, on the board. And I think I grew as a person. I matured as a leader for sure. Um, as a person, I became a more resilient person. I, I'm a very sensitive person by heart. Mm-hmm. And I had to learn mm-hmm. not to internalize everything um, and uh, to be able to kind of detach a bit. Um, so that I could do my best thinking as a leader. Um, I think in terms of leadership, I had to learn grace under fire, like I crisis management leading through even just, I mean, literally, I remember having to, I was writing the resolution 
at four in the morning to try to end this, to comp like compromise language, to try to end this strike and, and feeling the pressure of 36,000 students not being able to go to school the next day. And like that type of like high pressure situations has really given me, I think, greater perspective as a leader, how to um, lead during a crisis. Um, and, you know, a lot of internal dynamics, juggling just very different personalities on the board when I was board president and working with the superintendent to make sure that you're uh, you know, your policies are being implemented. And then of course the external, the media and, and parent and, and community engagement um, and concerns. And so, you know, with the external factors as well, really, I think grew me as a, a leader um, and as a person. And I think um, just also the self-care part, I think really just recognizing um, the need to, for me to be my best self, I need to, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, lead from a place of uh, stability. And yeah, I just went through a lot of uh, my own healing journey as well. And I guess lastly, it's like, the issues are hella complex. Mm -hmm. Like there's not one answer to anything. I spent a lot of time like debating issues back in my head and going back and forth. And I think Gary, the school, Gary Gee, who was on the school board with me, he really helped. I mean, having been part of the system for 50 years, I think helped to provide that long view. It's like, you make a decision. Sometimes it's the right decision. Sometimes it's the wrong decision. Most of the time, you really don't know what the outcome's gonna be for many, many years afterwards. And you just have to trust that you're making the best decision with the information that you have in front of you, that you're holding true to your values, that you have the best intentions and you just have to go with your gut and trust that. And I think that from, for a long time was very difficult for me um, to just recognize all of those complexities. Wow. Yeah. Um, some of what you were saying, um, I used to be a public defender and um some of what you're saying, like I can relate to of just being in incredibly stressful situations. And I originally went into the work with like the, like, I just want to help people. <laughs> like very sweet, like spirit. And it was, yeah, I had to change and grow a lot. I mean, ultimately I left that job for various reasons, but um, some, yeah, sometimes you get into roles that really kind of push who you are in good and hard ways and um yeah. yeah thank you for kind of sharing what well thank you for your service first of all because <laughs> yeah it was you know um I wouldn't say like I was sitting on the sidelines but you know I'm very interested in what is going on in the district as an Oaklander and as a mom to public school kids and it never seemed easy <laughs> like there was just mm -hmm. yeah. you know like wow yeah so so hats off to you Amy for for stepping up um, to the challenge and being on the board yeah I think um my oldest is 11 so he he started when you were on the board and I have to say um we we haven't met until recently too but if we knew each other I would say Amy um, my kid is doing amazing at his local neighborhood school, you know, <laughs> and I think um, sometimes those stories just get lost in all the drama and politics of it all. And, um, you know, my kid goes to a Title I school, 
probably like 98% free and reduced. We walk, it's like half a mile away from, you know, my house. Um, and he's, both of them are in public school, in, in the district school. And like, they both are like really thriving. And so we, we really, um, it's another podcast for another day to talk about <laughs> what are the joys and challenges um, of, you know, staying in Oakland, um, being mm. part of a community that is ridden with a lot of either stigma or a lot of, you know, bad press. Um, but to have, you know, kids like my own that I feel like, you know, they're like, they're, they've bought into the whole, I'm a, I'm an Oakland kid. I'm an OUSD kid, you know, and they're thriving and learning. Right. So, um, so yeah, despite all maybe the instability that does happen, and I'm sure there's so many things have destabilized our communities. There are definitely, um, you know, pockets and gems of stories, um, mm-hmm. that amazing teachers, amazing school site administrators, amazing after school programs, um, that, you know, there are going to be kids who really, really, um, thrive and, you know, uh, make it quote unquote and, and are successful in the world. So I'm like, okay, so thank you for that part, which sometimes <laughs> you may not get to hear. I mean, you start out with the joyful moments, but, uh, I just wanted to share that just to say, thank you on behalf of my kids. I love that. You can't see me, but I'm smiling, <laughs> smiling. Yeah. And, you know, I do believe it's, it's at the school site that really the change and transformation happens. And I think at the system, the 20,000 foot level, I still believe that even more firmly. It's really the school communities, the teachers, school administrators, parents, students at each school that really are, um, I believe school change stems from. I'm sorry, am I breaking up? You're a little bit breaking up, but we could fix that probably in the recording. I don't know if it's okay. maybe um, the connection or do you have a microphone that's near your mouth? Yeah, I think it's the connection because it said the connection, connection unstable. Oh, shoot. Am I, am I back? Mm-hmm. Yes, you're back. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, well, now that, um, you know, you've so quote, 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 retired from the school board. <laughs> um, so you probably took one really be, big, deep breath <laughs> of relief or, or I shouldn't say that it was probably bittersweet, right. To say goodbye for so many years of service. Um, you know, what is post school board life look for you now? Like, what do you, have you been able to spend more time doing? Um, is there anything next for you? I've been enjoying non-meeting life. I felt yes. I feel like how many I spent hours? So much of my life. I, when <laughs> I turned forty, I remember thinking that I was like, "Wow, I've spent most of my thirties in board meetings, <laughs> committee meetings, board meetings, 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 meetings." Um, yeah, so I've just really been enjoying being more present being more present as a mom, being more present as a wife, a daughter, a friend. It was so hard to juggle all of that. I mean, it's obviously hard to juggle in general, um, you know, as a, as a working mom, all of those different factors, but um, just really being able to be more present and not have my phone. Well, I mean, I have my phone, but like not always being like, you know, having like one crisis text away from having Mm -hmm, to jump on a phone call. So I've been just visiting places. I love to, um, our family has um, a family farm up in winters and Woodland area near David. So it's been really so fun to, um, spend more time up there with the kids. Um, been going to Tahoe a lot and Hawaii and wine country, just like being able to just enjoy the surroundings too. So 
So you mentioned now that you get to be more present with your kids and, you know, um, we cannot kind of get it to be because um, do both of your kids go to the preschool in the neighborhood in, at, at, at the preschool? Oh, almost. My second almost. Going okay. to start going there next month. We're preparing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. So they're both going to be preschoolers soon. And then is your oldest going to be ready for kindergarten soon? Uh, he'll be in TK hopefully next year. Okay. So that means you're going through all the school tours and enrollment options and all that business. If you need any help, let us know. We're very savvy <laughs> in that. <laughs> um, you know, what are your initial thoughts about it having, you know, soon to be school-aged kids, a TK on the way? What are you excited about having kids uh, go to school? And then what still are some, you know, worries or concerns you have? Yeah, definitely will be interesting to be able to experience the uh, the district from a parent perspective. Um, I'm hoping that um, that my older will be able to get into um, our neighborhood school. Does Cleveland doesn't have a elementary? Or excuse me, a TK. So mm-hmm. um, we'll be looking at other TK options. But um, I am really interested in Lincoln um, because he'd be the third generation. Well, we skipped my generation, but you know, my grandfather and my father and most of my extended family went to Lincoln and we've done um, a lot of volunteer work as a family. My sister and her husband are very involved in this um, rebuilding the rec center in Lincoln. And so it's just a very um, has a special place for many generations of our family. And so um, I thought, so it's just interesting because it's both like, oh, I would love for him to go there, but it's totally outside of my hands and yeah. <laughs> have to go through the general lottery process. So we'll see. I'm sure that he, he has a lot of options and we'll be fine. Um, I think what I'm excited about is to be active as a parent, um, because like I was sharing before, I do believe that school sites are where the change happens. And so I think being involved, um, being involved in the school community, really, uh, you know, working as a both the parent leader, but also um, helping. I mean, I think I could help translate some of the budget documents and some of the like, why mm-hmm. is the district doing this type of <laughs> confusion um, for folks in the school community. And my niece goes to our neighborhood school um, already. And so I've already um, participated in some of the events there. And so I'm looking forward to being part of the school community and having um, kids going um uh, going to school with neighbors and kind of being part of the neighborhood community school. Yeah, sweet. We toured Lincoln. I, I was really, really impressed. And actually, a friend of ours used to be at the interim principal there when my daughter was looking at TK. Um, so yeah, like just a school with like a long and rich history here in Oakland. So crossing our fingers for that to happen. Well, we are wrapping up our time with you, Amy. And I, yeah, it's, I, I think, um, well, it's kind of funny. Like when I was asked by someone like, oh, who would be like a, like, who would be like a dream guest on your podcast? And I said, well, um, Jean Kwan, because she was our first Asian American woman to, to be mayor. And now we have a second one and, you know, you being on school board and, um, Nikki Bass Fortunato being on the city council. It's just like the Asian American women leadership within the city is really strong. And um, yeah, so I was really excited to have um, to have you on. So thank you for making the time. And 
We like to end our podcast um, by having our guests um, choose two questions. And so it looks like you have chosen to answer what your favorite Asian mom saying is, either one that you say or one that you've heard from your own mother. And then the other one is what was a really nourishing practice or an ordinary thing for you this year? So I'll open it up for you to answer. (laughs) Okay, great. So um, in terms of the Asian mom saying, it's actually an Asian grandma saying. So my grandma, as I shared, was the oldest of 12. She grew up on the sugar plantations. She helped raise her siblings, but um, because she was in a more rural area, she didn't, there wasn't a high school nearby. So she just had, she had not just, but she had an eighth grade um, education. And um, so she, but she had so much wisdom in terms of practical advice and in terms of just life experience. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, juxtaposed to my dad's side that was more, my grandfather was um, an optometrist, more um, well-educated, higher education, et cetera. Um, but what she would say, she spoke pidgin English, and what she would say, what she, she'd say, so smart, but no common sense. And <laughs> what I appreciate about why she would say that, she'd say that to my sisters, to my dad, and because we would just sit there and we would overthink and overanalyze mm. and debate about all these things over and over again. And she's just so smart, but no common sense. Like she would just say that, you know, because we'd like be in our head all the time and not mm-hmm. really think about like the practice plays your gut or um, any of that. And so I, I just appreciate that. I, I, I channel that sometimes because I, I do think um, I know I, and I know a lot of other American, particularly Asian American women sometimes will get into the overanalyzing stage. So yeah, um, I just appreciate that, <laughs> that saying from my grandma. Um, and then in terms of practice, one visualization that I really appreciate, particularly just being here in Oakland, um, because there was a time that there was folks that were very angry that were saying that, you know, I, I could never eat out in Oakland or walk around the lake mm. or, or go out without being harassed. And I might as well just move away now. And, you know, just all of these you know, folks just you know, saying things when they're upset. And what I, and, and sometimes in my head, I was like, should I leave? Like, am I doing a disservice to the city being here? And I think what really helped me was like really recognizing our family's long history that six generations of my family have lived in Oakland and Mm -hmm. visualizing a large Oak tree. And it's like, you see the Oaklandish tree, you see that, you know, you see our Oakland image and stuff uh, and you kind of see that around, but like really embodying and visualizing yeah. myself as an Oak tree. And I think uh, what you really helped me think about was like the roots, particularly the roots, thinking about like the strong roots and, and thinking about my ancestors that are providing nutrients and providing, um, you know, all of that uh, strength from um, the roots at the foundation. And so when I get anxious or stressed to really be able to kind of channel that big oak tree image to help ground me, remind me why I'm here, help me feel confident and just know that I can rely on my, my ancestors, that I'm here for a reason and I can just, um, you know, spread my branches and just be here. Oh, that's really lovely. Yeah. I love that. And, um, it's pretty amazing that Oakland has that symbol like everywhere. 
as reminders, not only for you, but like for all of us who really think mm-hmm. about the strength of, you know, the oak tree. Um, yeah, the neighborhood that Sarah and I live in is actually called Oak Tree. So it's kind of hmm. fun that it's, uh, or the preschool, the preschool's in, you know, that the kids go to. Um, yeah, this little tract is called Oak Tree. And I think it's a good reminder for all of us because Oakland's, you know, it's been kind of rough these days. Um mm-hmm with you know increase of crime um and just everything that's going on it does feel sometimes um you know hard to um feel the rootedness or feel the strength um Mm -hmm. that we do have as people and in our family and here as families who live in oakland absolutely yeah thank you for sharing that and again thank you amy for being our guest and thank you all for listening Take care and don't forget to call your mom.